Hello, and welcome back to Climbing the Castle, your definitive Disney ranking podcast. I'm Dominic. And I'm Charlie. And today we're going to be discussing Fantasia 2000. As usual, we'll give you one last chance to check out this film if you want to watch it beforehand, before we go into details about it. It's a quick one, so you can knock this one out very easily if you want to do so. So go check it out. We'll be here. Fantasia 2000 continues and builds upon Walt Disney's original idea with the creation of a new musical program interpreted by a group of distinguished Disney artists and storytellers. Adding to the fun and entertainment, celebrity hosts from the various arts appear on screen to introduce each one of the segments. That's probably the quickest introduction we've ever had on the show, but it doesn't really mean much. So Yeah, I- again, this is a this is a quick movie to go through. It's super it, short movie. It's it's maybe very an hour simple, long. very straightforward. With like the connection between this one and the first Fantasia, it's pretty much the same thing, but with updated stuff and celebrities. Yes, they did add celebrities this time, which would ha- was helpful. I did appreciate that. Mm-hmm. I do feel I am glad that this movie was so short because honestly, I feel like if it was a bit longer, I don't know how much more i would have been able to take it and it's not saying that these shorts are bad because yeah, they're them all very enjoyable just the way they've pieced together it just makes it feel like it drags on for a bit somehow it's only meant to be like as if you're going to go see a, one of your local community bands or something like it's not gonna be a super long thing there was a lot of enjoyable stuff some not so enjoyable Mm-hmm. There was some flaws, a couple things that had to choose, a couple things that were great that could like really stand out compared to like some of the stuff that we've seen in full like full length movies. But we're here to break it all down. Uh, before we get into that, we'll get into our fun facts and then go into how we went about scoring this movie because we did do things a little bit differently here. Yeah. So let's get into our fun facts first and then. We'll get into our scoring portion. <laughs> the first fun fact I have here, the, the Broadway ending sequence of Rhapsody in Blue contained so many different colors that the cap system had trouble rendering it and caused delays in the production of Tarzan. So like the cap system is like a computer animation like rendering system where they would which they use to put all the movies together. And I guess there was just so much going on in that last sequence that <laughs> just delayed. I, I, that was, just in Rhapsody in Blue. Yeah, just that, that one scene alone. And that was like a, what, five-second scene, if even, yeah, of all the lights. That it delayed looked, Tarzan? That's what it says. It caused delays in their production of Tarzan, which I find that pretty, that's, pretty that's crazy. pretty funny. <laughs> it did look re- really nice, though. So like, <laughs> it did. It did. But the fact that it... it caused the delay in like tarzan and at least they still took that time instead of rushing tarzan because it ended up being an amazing movie yeah that's true this was the first feature-length animated film to be presented in imax imax had agreed to disney's terms and condition to gain exclusive first showings of the film these included a limited engagement of four months and 50 percent of the box office receipts it was for that reason that when Fantasia 2000 had its first run, not all IMAX limits shows it because they were not all prepared to accept Disney's terms. So this was like one of the first movies IMAX showed? Uh, it was the first animated movie IMAX. First animated movie. Yes. Uh, I'm not exactly sure when IMAX had started and what like the first film itself was, but it was the first feature-length animated film to be shown in IMAX. Okay. That's pretty cool. Yeah. I, I didn't, feel, I don't remember IMAX being around that early in my yeah, personal neither. opinion. But like, even in 2000, I feel like that's still a bit too early. Uh, yeah. Apparently, it was around. Uh, Disney actually built an uh, IMAX theater for the purpose of this movie. And then it cost them $4 million and they demolished it after the, the movie screening. So that's pretty interesting that they were willing to spend that much of money on an IMAX theater just to show this one movie. I'm trying to look up see what year IMAX opened. 
1971. No way. 1971, Tiger Child, the first IMAX film. That's very unbelievable to me. <laughs> <laughs> the more you know. <laughs> well, now we know. <laughs> uh, let's keep things moving with our fun facts here. The Carnival of the Animals segment with the yo-yo playing flamingo was originally conceived with ostriches in mind by Gro- Joe Grant, who was the head of story on Fantasia 2000. He was 90 year- 91 years old at the time and one of the only crew members that had worked on the original Fantasia. And so someone actually worked on both Fantasias. Yeah, this, this man, Joe Grant, he was the head of story on Fantasia 2000, and apparently he worked on the original Fantasia in 1940 as well. That's crazy. It's, it is really cool, though. And then the whole thing with ostriches instead? Yeah. I could see that, but I don't know. I think the flamingos was a good call there. The flamingos worked well. I do think mm. that ostriches could have worked as well, but I do think that it's really cool that he worked on both pieces. Also, going back to the original Fantasia, the rain that was seen during Pomp and Circumstance was actually filmed in 1940 and was used in the Rite of Spring segment from fa- the original Fantasia. Huh. So, no, no. Well, I mean, I know they used other things from Fantasia, which we'll talk about later. But to think they used, like, a scene from the original Fantasia for a new segment in the yeah. second Fantasia. That's pretty cool. And it's not, like, it's not that noticeable either. Like, yeah, I was, no. I was thinking it was just its own thing. Because I was reading this after, like, I had read this before the second time that I watched the movie, and I was trying to catch it again. I'm like, you can't even tell that's rain from, like, how many, however many years ago. <laughs> like, it doesn't yeah, look from the out 1940s? of place. Yeah. So they did a really good job of reusing it and making mm. it work. Good recycling. <laughs> just like rain. <laughs> it's just recycled water. Yeah. The Disney chairman, Jeffrey Katzenberg, at the time was opposed to the film, so development took place without his knowledge or involvement. I don't have more to this story. I wish I would have like found more <laughs> about this. Like, but, like his reaction when he found out that it happened? Yeah. I don't, I, like, I don't know how long this went on for and how it actually came to like be made with the fact that he had no involvement or knowledge about it. But yeah, apparently he, wanted not, he was really pushing against the film. There was other like people in the company that kept trying to bring the idea up, and they really like kept trying to make it, and he was just against it. So apparently, they just started making it without him knowing. <laughs> and the forbidden film. <laughs> Instead of this, also leads into that because I guess it makes a bit more sense of how it was going on without him knowing about it because. Instead of being produced all at once, the each segment was produced individually between bigger films and stuff like that. So The Pines of Rome, the first segment, which went into production, was completed in 1995. So that would be after, was it Pocahontas, I believe, was 95? Yeah. And then, like, in between the major films that they were working on, they would just work on the Fantasia pieces and Beethoven's Fifth was the last piece that went into production. So, I mean, that's a smart way to do it. Like, just do one segment at a time. Yeah, especially, like, when you're doing, like, with these, they're none of them connected, so they don't, they don't have, to, like, any changes or anything that has to be redone on, cert, like, those segments like that isn't going to affect any of the other stuff. It's not like it's going to hold up production of the rest of the movie. Yeah. So it does make sense that, to to do it like that instead of just, doing it all together and again if they're trying to do it under his note the notes of jeffrey katzenberg it <laughs> makes it a little bit easier yeah released 59 years after the original fantasia in 1940 this holds the record for the longest gap between any two theatrically released film sequels which huh. that's pretty crazy that they, yeah. like in the history of cinema like this is the furthest gap of and it's funny, like what I know this is just an ongoing joke currently, but like Avatar Two is coming out now, and it feels like an eternity yeah. since the original Avatar came out. But, but uh, like, yeah, but yeah, I feel like though people aren't like expecting, weren't really expecting this sequel no. until maybe it was announced just I a mean, little before it 
Brazil. It also was apparently nominated for some bad film award where it was like the least wanted film sequel or something like that. It didn't win the award, but it was in a category of like film sequels no one ever asked for. <laughs> that is fantastic. This remains the only time in which two Walt Disney Animation Studios films released the same year were in separate eras. The Tarzan, released in 1999, was the last film to be part of the Renaissance era, and this film is the start of the post-Renaissance era. So, remember last year, last year, last week, I had mentioned that we were trying to figure out what the name for the the time period of the 2000s Mm -hmm. was. It is, it's considered the post-Renaissance. It's just called post-Renaissance? Yes. And this was the first film of that, but it still came out in the same year as Tarzan, which is interesting. Outside of Pixar films, the steadfast tin, tin soldier segment is the first time that the lead characters in a Disney animation are completely computer generated. Although the whales and the ponds of Rome were computer animated, their eyes are so hand drawn. This was done because the software available to the studio at the time was not advanced enough to create convincing eyes with the expressiveness desired by the filmmakers. This was not a problem by the time the steadfast and tin, steadfast tin soldier went into production and the CG characters for that have full expressive features. So yeah, that kind of just shows how, you know, they were doing segments at a time. They worked out in the, in the case here because oh, it did. They, they had eventually figured out technology that they couldn't work out on last time and some of the other features. And they really did not nail it too, because there was a lot of great expressive features in that. Tin in tin fast. Yeah. And the tin, tin soldier. That is all the fun facts that I have for this all right nice short sweet still pretty fun facts yeah it, originally i couldn't find a lot of good ones and then like the more i started digging the more they were popping up so i'm glad i was able to get a couple of good ones in this one yeah moving into store uh, scoring see i'm already saying story but that's not where we're going with this now <laughs> uh yeah scoring for this movie was a bit difficult because a lot of these pieces don't follow the same linear structure as all the other movies. Like some of them, and we've had this issue in the previous Fantasia or the segment, like the what is the musical pieces? I can't think of what the, yeah. the name is called for them now. Bundles, package films. That's the package films. That's yes. But it was a bit easier to work on with some of those because, like, the majority of them weren't missing things. But I feel like in this movie, you really they were lacked all missing things. It really lacked a lot of the story or characters or other pieces needed to score it completely. So we felt the best way to score this was to just give each each piece its own like overall score, just kind of factoring every single aspect of it together. Kind of like if you take our enjoyability score and then just throw in all of our other scores together on top of that, just one overall score for everything. And then we're just kind of like to take the average of all those scores for our final score. Mm-hmm. So we're just going to give each piece, talk about it a little bit, give our score for that piece. And then we'll give you our final score for the movie at the end. All right, let's do this. Before we get into the actual movie itself, one thing that I wanted to point about the setup of the film was uh, the, the Sage setup was really cool this, this time with the, oh, yeah. the pictures sure. floating around in the background and they really used the space of this and the fact that really well. they were using clips and like pictures of the last fantasia also yeah i really like that the way they were floating around in the background and they had little bits and pieces of the original fantasia and even just like the kind of audio introduction about like the three pieces the three types of music that there are and stuff like that mm-hmm. it was a great way to set up this film Moving on now to the first segment, which was Beethoven's Fifth, I scored a 74 for that piece. And I scored a 72. Okay, so we're, we're pretty close on that one again. Mm-hmm. Uh, this was, again, just the, one of those basic lights and color pieces with no actual story going on. So there's not really much to give it in terms of, like story or story characters. or characters but they they did a great job with the animation in this one at least oh, yeah. and 
what well, the one thing that stood out to me the most about this was the colors that they used. I really loved the colors that were used in this segment because it wasn't like your traditional color palette. It was a lot of different, like brighter or darker colors than you would mm. normally see. And it really made this piece stand out. But yeah, that's that's what I have written down also. Just the colors looked absolutely amazing. Yeah. And then I liked how the butterflies looked like Doritos. <laughs> I was hungry uh, when I wrote that. <laughs> uh, see, I thought they were bats. They were, well, or maybe there was butterflies, were butterflies and bats. Butterflies and then bats also, I believe. Yeah, the bats were at the end. I, I the said evil Doritos. <laughs> evil Doritos. Those are like I, those midnight Doritos that came out. That like <laughs> taco flavored ones. Yeah. I really like the, the way that they incorporated the, like they just took these kind of abstract drawings and turned them into the, the bats and the butterflies and all this other stuff. That looked really cool. Also, the flowing of the colors that they did in the beginning, like when mm-hmm. they had all the colors swirling around, that, that looked really nice. They really had like great fluid motions with that as well. Yeah. And then um, the light splashes that were going on also throughout the movie. Yeah. I thought those were really cool. Mm hmm. I do think it was kind of interesting how they take like one of the most recognizable pieces of music and they just kind of went with a simple approach on this one instead of doing something with this. Cause like instead of some story or complex. Yeah. Cause like I would say Beethoven's fifth is probably the most recognizable piece of classical music or at least within top five, mm-hmm. like everyone knows this song or has heard the, that piece. So the fact that they didn't do a little bit more with it was kind of a bit disappointing, but it was still enjoyable. Yeah, I kind of like the simplicity, but they definitely could have put a good story to it also. Mm -hmm. I don't really have too many other notes about that. Like we said, this was a basic one, just lights and colors. So there's really not much too much to talk about here. Yeah, this is going to be one that we that's going to be super short to talk about. Uh, moving on, the next piece was the Pines of Rome. And for Pines of Rome, I have a 66. I have a 65, so only one point difference there. Um, I have played this piece before with a group, and it's not one of my favorite pieces at all. <laughs> it, it doesn't really give you much. It's just kind of there. I mean, it starts off fun, and then it just kind of goes into that more quiet and like it gets quiet and then it gets loud again yeah the triumphant bum, 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 bum. i just i don't know it didn't really like enthuse me very much some of the, the visuals were nice some of it was a bit off like the aurora borealis looked incredible oh I it looked amazing they did a great job with that but and like then i liked seeing the whales go through the clouds and then when they were diving out of the clouds I thought that was a fun scene. Yeah, some of their movements looked good. Uh, some of it looked a little bit wonky. Some looked awkward. Like, to me, this piece just felt like they were trying to flex, like, their new 3D technology that they just, like, mm-hmm. got. Like, hey, look, we just got this new 3D, 3D animation kit. Let's go show it off. And it's just them trying to show off what they can do now with their their 3D models. Well, they couldn't help that. They couldn't have whales on the studio lot as reference (laughs) like they've done with other movies but uh yeah i don't know i was very confused about the flying whales also that was that just seemed the whole bird thing at the beginning where the whale was just annoying them (laughs) the little baby whale was honestly just kind of a nuisance Mm, it was a little bit cute but oh it was cute just it was annoying everyone even the other the parent whales were like okay this child needs to calm down and then it got lost, and then it got abducted, and then <laughs> there was but like then here comes an army of whales, mm-hmm. and then they all start flying through space as well, and it's just like what is going on here? Space it makes whales. <laughs> it was for what was going on. It was very uneventful though, and it yeah. it just kind of dragged on a little bit too long. And I'm like, that first piece was nice, and then you have the the little whale by himself just swimming in circles for about five minutes before it started to get sucked up into space and then the rest of the other whales shows up and i'm like this could have been done a little bit differently yeah definitely a little on the boring side mm. 
the the landscape at the ending looked really nice though. There was like that oh, yeah. one one scene like where they showed the fields. Yeah. And then the lightning at the end was also really cool. Yes. The way they I did that. It's where it looked kind of cool seeing the whales fly in the lightning. Mm-hmm. But I don't know. For me, overall, this was just kind of a, a boring, boring piece. Yeah. Uh, uh, let's keep. You have something else? Or? No, no. I was about to say I don't really have anything else. Okay. <laughs> so then let's keep it moving with Rhapsody in Blue. I have an eighty-eight for this piece. I have a ninety. This was a great piece, and I I do think I could have scored this a little bit higher if I wanted to as well, because this was one of mm-hmm. my favorite pieces of the movie. And then uh, Rhapsody in Blue. It's just like a staple in jazz music. Like, there's not a single, I don't think there's a single jazz musician out there who doesn't know of this song. It is a great piece. It was a lot of fun but between the pianos that's going on and those horns. Oh, oh man. Yeah. Those horns. Were and then, of course, crazy. that clarinet opening's iconic. The <laughs> I actually have that as my alarm to wake up to <laughs> in the morning yeah the music worked really well with this piece as well the animation was really cool for almost all of it i really loved the visuals in this oh yeah scene. i kind of i definitely preferred the like hand drawing looking visuals to this yeah uh, it was definitely a minim- like a minimalistic art style which normally i complain about where they're leaving out details but it really worked in this one mm-hmm. like compared to to normal and then this was just a great song to show, like, people struggling through city life. I'm assuming, like, New York. Yes, that's what it was, New York City. Uh, they really captured the essence of New York City in this piece as well. Mm-hmm. Like, there was so much relatable stuff in there. Like, like someone who was working a job, but that wasn't their dream. And that's all they think about. Then there's a guy who doesn't have a job and he's trying to get by with no money. Mm-hmm. And then you have the little girl who's just trying to spend time with her parents and she's just unhappy all the time. And then the way they brought all the stories together worked really well as well. Oh, it felt bad for that one guy, though. The uh, husband of that one woman. <laughs> yes, the guy that was dancing with the monkeys. Yeah, he was and dancing then... and he was wanting to have fun, but she kept like giving him a stink eye. Yeah, like he wasn't allowed to do that. Like and she, she, was she was very controlling, I'm taking all his money. But then she got taken away by the crane, and he went to see the jazz co- jazz show and was living his best life. So yes, that's the part that made me the happiest in this movie. <laughs> uh, seeing him dancing with the monkey was one of my favorite parts. <laughs> that was really good. And I did love the etch sketch intro as well. I thought that was mm. really cool. Where the, the lines of where the buildings draw, were. The line and they're drawing the buildings. And mm-hmm. that was really awesome. Uh, even like also after that, the camera movements that they had were were really well done. Because they did like this zoom in through the buildings into the like the window of the guy waking up. Mm-hmm. And then it kind of panned back out and went down to the street for the next person. And it was like following everyone in this fun, unique path. And they did such a great job of linking all the stories together with these camera movements some of the other stuff that stood out to me was the text like all the text stuff that you saw on like the signs and the billboards and the menus like anything that had wordings on it they they did a great job of showcasing that mm-hmm. like you seen the subway sign or like the sign any kind of advertisements for like shows or and it was eligible things. that's the best yeah yeah I, I really enjoyed those details. And then there was the sign in the, in the diner that said eggs, 25 cents. Like, yes, please. Like, you... Holly eggs for 25 <laughs> cents? Yeah. Like, man, I wish, <laughs> like, this was not. I wish prices were like that again. This, that was not even, like, 1999 prices. <laughs> <I'm> like, oh. <laughs> so this must have been showcasing a much earlier era of New York City. And that guy got away with sp- using another guy's coin to pay for his two cups of coffee yeah i mean he, he did steal that dude's money to pay for his coffee he didn't steal it he just kind of left it on the counter <laughs> as if he was paying with it yeah so really he just stole the coffee uh, he did steal the other guy's job as well <laughs> well no it, the other guy quit he yeah. just happened to 
he caught his equipment and walked in <laughs> with his equipment and then <laughs> just started working. Hey, he wants that jump. He can have it. He took the opportunity. There was that giant crowd of people like they were showing getting into the subway and getting out of the subway. And getting into the out of the subway still all together and then and the elevator like, stuck together. And now the elevator stuck together just to get into another elevator. That together. is exactly how New York City works sometimes. Like you will get stuck in those crowds and just like move as a group, as a unit from place to place <laughs> because that's how crowded it gets sometimes. Like I, I relate to this experience right now. As someone that lives in New York, I'm like, yes, I've and been as in someone that. that lives in Arkansas. I have no idea. <laughs> I like my space. Oh, I hate that situation. <laughs> so it's not I, something I, I enjoy. Personal space. But, I feel like if I got into that crowd, I have a freak out moment. But yes, I have been in that crowd and it's not fun. And they look like they, they drew the people looking just as miserable in that crowd as you actually are. <laughs> Also, that guy drumming on the construction set seemed kind of unsafe. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like that's a lot like me anywhere I go. I'm like drumming on things. <laughs> he was like drumming on his dude's head while they're standing up on scaffolding. <laughs> I'm like, that's not very safe. Like, oh, you're probably going to knock this dude off. <laughs> See, I felt relatable to the little girl that was failing at everything that she was doing. When she was in the dance studio, she like was falling backwards and she was <laughs> She went to the piano thing, and she was messing up pian- her piano lessons. Uh, and then her painting, she just... a great uh, metal band singer. <laughs> and she just drew that bucket of paint right in the paint, the art instructor's face. Oh, another thing about the whole piano thing. Yeah. When she messes that up, and it pans up to the other guy playing piano. Mm-hmm. And that's, like, supposed to be George Gershwin. Yes. Who's, you know... The uh, composer for Rhapsody in Blue. Mm-hmm. I thought it was a nice little like cameo to kind of do for them. Yeah, that was a nice little nod. The last note that I have here was about that last scene with the neon lights mm-hmm. on Broadway. That looked that, really like, nice. When that it pans out to show the whole city. Yeah. That looked really nice. It was a really great scene. I'm like, okay, Tarzan deserves to be delayed for this. <laughs> for this. <laughs> But I liked uh, the ice skating scene. Yeah. We're showing them like daydreaming about ice skating and getting what they want. A lot of fun. And then, like I said, that was a perfect way to bring everyone in the story together and mm-hmm. like break, Gary, make it all connect. I did and think it was... I liked the lady getting taken away by the crane. <laughs> F you, Karen. That, that was nice. <laughs> I um, actually have that written in my note. F you, Karen. <laughs> I did think I did think it was gonna get dark with that little girl getting ran over for a split second when that happened. Yeah, like and oh now the parents are together, but they're grief. I'm glad that they didn't get, did not go that way with it. <laughs> yeah. Although it was very improbable of them like stopping all the cars like that <laughs> the way that it happened. Yeah, there's no way that those cars are gonna stop in a perfect circle. Come yeah. <laughs> There'd be a little bit of a dent in the circle. Oh, wait, that's not what you meant. <laughs> uh, yeah, this was just a great piece overall. I really enjoyed this mm-hmm. one. I would like, I feel like I'm just going to constantly come, like, come back and watch this a lot, like very often now. Oh, yeah. And then the next few are going to be good, too. Yes. I'm so let's to continue moving on then to the Steadfast Tin Soldier. I have a 93 for this piece. I have a 94 for this piece. This was absolutely incredible, this piece. This is a really good one. This is one of the, like, few that had story, characters, and, and of course, visuals and atmosphere. Yes, this really gave you everything. I'm like, I I wish they would have given this, like, a full-length movie because it was such a good story that they were telling. Yeah, that's what I was thinking, too. They have so much more. They can actually, like, throw so many actual scenes into this and there's so much they can do with it where they can turn it into a full-length movie but where i wrote a note in here also where i kind of want to see maybe a reference to this in any of the toy story movies but the way they were like turning on and off and like shutting the way down they were coming to life and all yeah. that yeah it was was pretty cool there it didn't seem like there was a unnecessary like circumstance for them coming 
twice in this in the case of Story Story. Yeah. Like, well, they didn't really show the kid coming in to play with him and stuff like that. So they didn't show when they had like why they were coming to life. It was just a bit randomized. Yeah. But it was still pretty cool. The 3D animation in here looked amazing. It like, looked fantastic. And then it was absolutely incredible. When he and the boat both fall out of that window, I thought yeah. it was neat that he just lands in there perfectly. Mm-hmm. Obviously, it was animated that way, but still. He just plops right into the boat. And, plop, and then down the drain. Yeah. And again, as always, they had the great water texturing animations in that scene as mm-hmm. well. Especially like when they're sliding through the, the tunnels and the sewers and stuff like that. Yeah, they used that in a lot of these. Water. Uh, yeah, water. Yeah. They did. There was water in most of these scenes. I do feel like the water was done best in this piece, though. Yeah. But everything in this piece looked great. I mean, that jack-in-the-box was absolutely horrifying. He was terrifying. He he did also remind me of Lord Farquaad from Shrek a little bit. <laughs> I was uh, thinking that a little bit. <laughs> like, Same yeah. facial structure and everything. The facial and structure and even the attitude about him, of him just trying to mm-hmm. to steal the prince. Well, as I guess it's a princess. The ballerina. Or, yeah, ballerina, but it would be the same equivalent. Of, yeah, uh, they did a great job of capturing the range of emotions of these characters as well. Like, oh, yeah, the like facial, the facial expressions uh, that expressions, were being made. They they looked fantastic, and it's crazy to think like that was something that they couldn't do earlier in the production of this movie. Like we were saying before in the fun facts like yeah with the whales they had to hand draw those eyes yeah but they in this one there was crazy like computer rendered and it looks absolutely incredible because you can feel all the emotions that were going on and like it really got you invested in like the story that was gone here like the love story between the the soldier and the ballerina and large farquat trying to steal her away (laughs) uh and then another thing about the story yeah um it's how he accidentally ends up at his correct home yeah that was very big coincidence <laughs> he gets caught in the fish's mouth and then the fit like the same exact house that he get, came from is the people that bought that fish which like, i what, feel like if they made a full feature film of this it'd be more of he gets he ends up somewhere else and he's trying to make his way back home. Yeah, kind of and that's it. definitely some one of the things they could have expanded upon if they give it a full-length film. But for what the five minutes they have here, they did a, a decent job of making it somewhat believable. <laughs> yeah, like he ends up in a fish's mouth. He, yeah. The fish gets caught. Then the fish goes to a market and then they, they wound up buying the fish and he falls out of the fish's mouth. Going back before he got caught when he was in the sewers, what's what there's always those monstrous rats waiting mm-hmm. to like that just seems to have been a staple in Disney movies now, like these killer rats waiting to attack well, for them. now. <laughs> Eventually we get to a movie with good rats. Uh I mean there's a couple of good rats in some of the other movies, like the great, oh, mouse the great mouse those weren't rats, well, no, those those were, were mice. Those were mice and same. <laughs> Well, that's Pixar. Pixar is the one that treats the rat mice. <laughs> yeah. So, but also one of the other things that I liked about this was like how the fight sequences kind of were like video game boss fights. Uh-huh. Like, like they were going back and forth. He was sending the blocks at him and then he was dodging stuff and they were just. They definitely seemed like phases of a boss fight in a video game. They did put so much detail onto those wooden blocks, though. I don't know if you noticed, like the block, the wood blocks that they were throwing at each other. Oh yeah, there was so much text, like wooden texture that they put into each one of those blocks, and I'm like, they really made these blocks look like an actual toy and block. Then, what is what is it called that AE put together? The what? I'm I'm not like an English expert, but like one of the blocks had that where it had the letter A and E combined. Uh huh. I know what you're talking, see it, but I don't know what exactly it is. What children's block actually has that? <laughs> we don't use that in English anymore. Uh, I'm not sure. <laughs> but 
Yeah, this was like we said a, a really fun piece. We wish we would have gotten a full length movie of this. Disney, and it's not too late. No, Disney, please give us a full length Steadfast Ten Soldier movie or Pixar. <laughs> <laughs> uh, moving on to the Carnival of the Animals. I have an eighty-five for that. I also have an eighty-five for this hey, one. Hey, there you go. Uh, this was the shortest one out of all of them. It was, but it was very entertaining. <laughs> it, it was fun to watch. Um, but again, not a lot happened. It, it was just one flamingo with a yo-yo annoying all the other flamingos. Yeah, it, but it was just absolutely hilarious that the, the way that they set it up. And I, I really, like, I enjoy that flamingo, the one that was causing trouble. I'm like, yeah, I would mm-hmm. be friends with this, this flamingo. <laughs> yeah, like, just fun-loving. He, the rest he just are, seemed like so, so much fun. The rest are so serious, but mm-hmm. he was just fun-loving and having a great time and he was really good with that yo-yo he was good with that yo-yo he was doing all these cool tricks and all these cool moves and uh they were just getting mad at him and i love he was getting upset that they were getting mad at them my favorite thing was that slow transition of his face when he's like starts playing with it again with before they start to realize it and he's like got it under his feet and he's like starts moving it a little bit (laughs) And then it's like his grin starts getting slowly and slowly bigger <laughs> as he starts to play with a little bit more. And then he just goes right back into it again. <laughs> like they did such a great job with his facial expressions and like showing off his attitude. And I, think, his, I think flamingos were a great call yeah. with this rather than ostriches. Uh, it's funny, like for how like simple this piece is and what it was, I feel like this the music in this piece had the best correspondence <laughs> with what was happening. Okay, so before we started recording, we were both just at the same time. <laughs> but I do think I do think the music worked with this piece and the visuals oh, so the best did. out of out of all the pieces in this movie. And it's gonna be stuck in my head for a while. Yeah. Really fun, really simple, but also the introduction, I do love that they had James Earl Jones doing it, mm-hmm. after, like talking about animals and stuff like that. After he and was then, just Mufasa. Did you see behind him there was a little Mufasa statue? Yes, I did see that. I'm like, that's great. Like, that's a great <laughs> Easter egg right there. <laughs> and then he's like talking about like what the story was about, an age-old tale of, I don't remember what he says after that. Something about flamingos and life. Well, and then somehow animals throughout life and then yeah. one of the animators like just looks at him like no we'll read this he's like oh the age-old question what would happen if you gave a yo-yo to a flock of flamingos who wrote this <laughs> yeah that was a great interaction i really speaking of that before like I, well, as we're moving on uh, next the next piece had the pen and tower introduction and I just thought that was absolutely incredible, their introduction to the Oh, yeah. All the celebrities piece. had, like, nice introductions. They did. Yes, all of them were good. But for me, Penn and Teller stuck out the Penn most. Penn and Teller and definitely stuck out. absolutely hilarious. And, like, that kind of gave, like, wanted me to add points to this movie alone just from their introduction that they gave to this piece. They did introduce The Sorcerer's Apprentice, which, an, which was a piece from the original Fantasia. So I do think it was kind of interesting that they decided to keep a, an old piece in there. I'm not really sure why they thought it was a good idea. Yeah. I wish they would have just put gave like at least give us an updated version if you're yeah, gonna do that. They just they just stuck. Are are we moving on to the Sorcerer Princess by the yeah, way? Or we're moving into Sorcerer Princess okay. now. So <laughs> okay, because okay, so I gave that an eighty. I also Let's gave it an eighty as well. So. All right, <laughs> but uh. Yeah, all they did. I mean, it's still enjoyable to watch. It is. It's still a great piece. But all they did was tuck the one from Fantasia into there. Like, no changes to it at all. Which, I mean, I guess it does work. It's because it's still, like, it is a nice, like, showing where they've come from to where they're at now. Mm -hmm. But, like, they could have given an updated version. Although they don't need to. Because, like, in my, like... Rewatching Sorcerer's Apprentice now, I'm like, this really holds up compared to 
throughout the years of the stuff that we've seen so far. Mm -hmm. And I think like looking back, we kind of didn't give it enough credit at the time when it first came out. Oh yeah. Now that we've seen all the stuff that they put in from there in between, like this was a bit ahead of a time with some of the stuff that it was doing, at least visually. Mm -hmm. Mickey is still a monstrous murderer. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yes oh he brutally just kills the broom and mm-hmm. the broom's just basically hot is basically a hydra but, it becomes more with all the pieces cut off yeah my opinion on mickey being a monster doesn't change from from then until now <laughs> but yeah we've already covered this in the first fantasia so we're not going to dive too crazy into it we just wanted to drop a few i will pieces. say how afterwards you know they show him congratulating the composer. Yeah. And then he runs off to help introduce the next the new, piece. The new composer. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Which let's, we should probably go and jump into the pomp and circumstance. Yes. Oh, I have a 90 for that. I have an 86 for this. So this, they use Noah's Ark, but featuring Donald Duck. Yes. Uh, as I'm guessing Noah's assistant. Or mm-hmm. something. Which is a very weird take. <laughs> yeah. Like, but it worked. I, would, I would think Donald Duck should be like Noah, but instead, like. I mean, I also like, wouldn't give Donald Duck that kind of responsibility. Responsibilities. So, yeah. like, <laughs> plus, it was a good way to throw in Daisy Duck because I don't know if Noah really that took, really took someone with him romantically. I don't know. But. I did love that they threw that story in there to mm-hmm. like incorporate the story of Donald and Daisy into this piece, and it was really done well. And then the song was like a perfect choice for this. It, it like did. seeing all the animals march into da, 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 da. it did work well, and this was a wonderful song. I always loved the song, which uh, everyone always thinks of this song as you know, oh, graduation. See, but it's not necessarily just that. No, they, that's what they says in the beginning. It was like, everyone just assumes this is, like, thinks of it as a graduation song. Like, for me personally, as a wrestling fan, I just think of Randy Savage because, like, that was his theme song. So, like, <laughs> yeah. like I just automatically think Randy Savage. So, like, not everyone's going to think graduation. <laughs> yeah, that's true. But I just, I was laughing at that part when he said that. I was like, Everyone's just gonna think graduations. I'm like, no, I don't think of graduations. <laughs> no, I think of oh yeah. <laughs> but uh yeah, I think for me this was some of the cleanest looking animations that we've seen in general. It definitely looked very nice. Like all of the animals were done really well. It was so smooth, there wasn't any like it didn't seem like there was any blemishes or like pieces that stuck out. I mean like the background and stuff, they, they didn't really focus on that much, too much, but the animals mm-hmm. were just incredible. And I, I did love that they encompassed like the looks of the animals from like taken from all the other movies that they've done so far. Yeah. Like the elephants were pretty much like the elephants from Tarzan. And then there was like the beavers that looked pretty much exactly like the beaver that we've seen in uh, Lady and the Tramp. What a, yeah, Lady and the Tramp. And then like all of the animals that they use just kind of looked exactly like some of the an- like when they've used them in some of the Disney films. Mm-hmm. And I there did was pick up on that a little bit. Hmm? I did pick up on that a little bit. There was a cameo of a pr- character. I don't know if you've noticed him. He's one of I'm, my favorite characters. I might have seen. noticed this. It was Frank from Rescuers Down Under, the lizard. The lizard with the little ear flappings. Oh. He was there. That. I need to go back and watch that. I got really excited when I saw him because he was one of my favorite characters from Rescuers Down Under and like <laughs> movies in general. He was such a great character and getting to see him again was just great. I did love Donald's reaction when he saw the actual ducks going past. I thought that was absolutely if, hilarious. Wait, if those there. are the ducks. What am I? <laughs> oh, no. I thought that was a great piece like to include into that. It was hilarious. <laughs> And then later on, like when Donald was releasing the doves, I thought that was hilarious as well. Yeah, but the dove circles around like no bugs mm-hmm. staying here. But yeah, overall, 
I feel like visually this was incredibly well done. They could have done a little bit more in terms of like what was happening. It was like mainly just animals walking around on the screen for the most part. Yeah. Which was and why then, it was nice that they threw in that Daisy Donald story to arrangement uh, wise, like that soprano at the end was hitting those good great those notes very, very well. Yeah. I feel like they were unneeded though. <laughs> Maybe. Anything else you want to add about this piece or nope. I think we're ready to move on to the final one. All right, let's move on to the Firebird. I have an 85 for the Firebird. I have a 96. Personally, this one was my favorite. I thought it was really well done. I, I I'm not gonna take away that credit like credibility and like the how good it was. I just feel like they could have done a little bit more with it. It just feel, felt like it was a bit short. Well, not necessarily short, but, like, they only showed, like, that beginning part of her, like, bringing in the forest for, like, a couple of seconds. And then they only showed the destruction for a couple of seconds. And then, like, the rebirth for a couple of seconds. I feel like they could have just added a little bit more into each well, one of the... They, you know, you, they have to go along with the song. Yeah. Because in this case, the song was made before the animation was created. Mm-hmm. So, but I thought the story was very well done. I've, I loved the, uh, I'm, I just started calling her Mother Nature. Because that's I have, what I perceived her as. I was calling it just a fairy, but like the grass fairy or. <laughs> yeah. And then like the visuals were just breathtaking to me. In this. They were really great visuals, especially like the beginning that opening shot of the mountain was kind of just looked like a painting. It mm-hmm. was like like a painting style artwork. And then like all the water motions of like when the fairy woke up, was woken up in the beginning. Mm-hmm. And became, that was. Became solid. Yeah. That was really cool. And like one of the best scenes to me is when she's flying through and all these trees are just flowing, like being grown behind her. After yeah. all the destruction. Mm-hmm. At the end. Yeah. Yeah. They and then they of d- course that final shot with the moose was unbelievable. <laughs> uh they did a great job with the lighting as well in the in the beginning. They really mm. captured the essence of like all the lights coming through the trees where it looks like it's a forest, and like you have all these different shadows coming in on different points and the light shining through the trees. And they did a really great job of showcasing that. I didn't understand why she would go investigate the creepy alien demon pod thingy. When... Curiosity. Like, <laughs> once she went to explore. Like, but... things were not growing around her. She had to figure out what was the cause. And then it was like, like, oh, look at this. This is new. That the fire and lava animation was done really well. That was very well. good. The way that, like, it was liquid, but also fire at the same time. Yeah. And, they they really did a great job with that. Kind of how lava works. <laughs> I mean, no, but <laughs> that's not what I meant exactly. Listen, <laughs> because there was a spot before the like before it actually was lava, like the monster was like shooting it out, and it was mm-hmm. it was still just fire, but it also kind of looked like looked liquid at the same time, but it wasn't magma magma yet. Yeah, but uh, yeah, the, again, the visuals were unbelievable to me. Like, I think those are the kind of visuals we were like longing for at the beginning of our podcast. Yeah, I mean, this is also a completely different <laughs> era at this point. It is a know. completely different era. <laughs> and but they, at the same time, this was this was just fantastic. There was that that one shot when she started crying and they showed the tear going to the ground where I thought that was like an actual camera shot of dirt and ground. Uh-huh. I'm like, that looks so realistic. That one shot, not the tears itself, but like the, the ground, the ground. I'm like, wait, did this just throw a camera, a ca- like an actual live camera shot in there? <laughs> but no, it was, it was still illustrations. Mm-hmm. And like all those tears looked pretty cool. And then she turned into a tear monster pretty much after <laughs> like, uh, no, no, that's where Disney went, okay, we know we're good with water. We're just going to make her completely water now. <laughs> I don't understand how the moose survived 
and he was the only thing that survived the apocalypse. I think that, that was like a symbol for hope. Almost. I was like, I don't know, that's just kind of felt a bit off to me. I'm like, he's one of the only creatures here besides all the butterflies and all stuff like that. But he managed to survive through the, the flaming. Maybe he was lava. able to run away fast enough. <laughs> I don't know. Everything was pretty much destroyed there. So. But it was still nice. And it was, like you said, a very cool visual of him standing there. Yeah. And then seeing the like her just flying the distance, leaving that like sparkle trail. I do think they, they went a bit too much with that sparkles at that point. It no, kind of like I, I found it like great overtook the, the screen a little bit i feel like because we had mentioned this earlier in one of the other movies where like there were sparkles going or confetti or something on the screen and they did it in a way where it didn't clutter the screen and i feel like this one it did like just close the screen oh hunchback it was in hunchback mm-hmm. when At they had the, the confetti uh, going off with the confetti for the uh, festival of fools yeah where I said they did that in a way where it didn't take up the, they had it covering everything, but it didn't like overtake the screen. Whereas in this one, I feel like it kind of did overtake a little bit. Yeah, maybe a little bit of a like, is still like the good. <laughs> I don't really have much more to talk about with it. No. I thought I, the fact that, you know, it's called Firebird and then they use the Phoenix as like the antagonist. Yeah. Instead of making this about a phoenix. Mm-hmm. I mean, the Firebird is also the name of the piece, though, right? Yeah, that... yeah, that's what I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. Whereas all the, the pieces were named after the music, except for the Steadfast the, You had mentioned the Steadfast Tin Soldier earlier when we were t- talking about notes and stuff like that, mm-hmm. where they actually gave it its own name, which is why it deserves its own movie as well. But, but yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, so those are all what we scored each piece individually. Then we kind of just averaged them all together to get our final score for this movie. So I have an 82 for my overall score here. And I have an 84.1 for mine. And again, this is there's kind of an asterisk next to this score. It's not really official in terms of ranking. I mean, it is, but at the same time, it's... We couldn't rank it like we have been all the other movies, so yeah, it's kind of just getting its own thing. Maybe we might need to go back and redo the original Fantasia this way too, because it might have like been screwed that way. Yeah, but I don't know. It's really hard to tell pieces like this as the best course of action for these, because it did feel like there was a bit more characters and stories and stuff like that in the original Fantasia, uh, and like uh, some of the other pieces like that as compared to here where it seemed like that was just kind of scarce yeah this was definitely more just the visuals mm-hmm. although like some of the stories we got were some of the best stories we've seen like even with some of the full featured yeah like the the rapsy in blue the story being told there is honestly one of my favorite stories that we've seen mm-hmm. Or the Steadfast you know, Tin Soldier. And this, yeah, Steadfast Tin Soldier as well. Uh, they did such a great job with those stories. But then you have Flying Whales, the musical. <laughs> yeah, Pines of Rome. And <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, 82 is still a pretty decent score. It's not oh, like yeah. it's killed it's not the like score. Dumbo or Bambi. Yeah, <laughs> which is funny because I, w- I did have to look back at those scores to try and figure out my, my uh, Rome. What is the Rome's Rome of Pine, 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 Pine of Rome, Rome score? Pine's I'm like, Rome. all right, this is stinker. Got to go back to those stinker scores to figure out where this fits. But yeah. <laughs> and looking at my Dumbo score, like I was going back and look at my Dumbo score, and it's like in the 40s, and I'm like, oof. <laughs> we'll have to give Dumbo another chance later on, but I, I still don't think it's going to. I don't think it's going to change much for me. <laughs> But speaking of revive, now that I just said the word, that reminded me that remember how we said that the twenty ten, like the twenty, well, the late twenty tens is the start of the modern era. Mm-hmm. It's actually called the revival era, oh. which I learned that when I was doing my research into like this one, how this is called post Renaissance era. So that's just telling us that 
we're in for a rough ride for these next <laughs> that's what i'm hearing uh that's what it seems like uh, but uh, we've been saying that we don't know we're we're still we're I keeping mean, our I fingers know I crossed like some of the movies that are in here like lilo and stitch and the emperor's new groove yeah there's a couple of things that are mixed in there so yes this is now that we've finished tarzan that's the end of the renaissance era which in most people's eyes is the greatest era of disney movies and as you can see by our scores we agree with that statement but at least for now yeah so now we are entering the post-renaissance era this will take us up until princess and the frog i believe it's the start of the revival era which we're in we're still considered in the revival era currently right now I also learned the, the names of the other ages that like were in between because there's the golden age was the like the, the golden age was like the first Disney with Snow White and stuff like that and then after that was the silver age the silver age was the time period after that which where does that start like Cinderella or something um, or? I believe it was the Cinderella time period on me I just I took that note I sent these notes earlier. I thought, oh, this is for me to come back to it later on when we're discussing this. <laughs> and of course, I didn't have it ready for me to, to. I wasn't expecting to go into this in the podcast right now, but I'm like, this was a quick episode. I guess this is probably the best time. To, well. Probably the best time to jump into it. But yes, the golden era, Snow White. After that was the wartime era, which was, that was when we had all the, the period pieces. Those were the, uh, package films yes the package films Um, so yeah they would get their own era silver age was actually why does this not have like a complete timeline (laughs) i thought it had this all like laid out perfectly the way they they were talking about it but apparently it's i would think that maybe cinderella started that or well it would be right after the package films i'm guessing yeah I mean, it would also help if I pulled up the list of the movies that are in the timeline order right now. That'll so after that, it was Cinderella. So after the adventures of Ichabod and Mr. Toad, it was Cinderella. Here we go. All right, I have the list. I'm gonna. I'm sorry for wasting all your time like this. We're the worst. We're the actual worst. Hey, like, you're like... getting extra content. You're <laughs> Listen, I got plenty of extra content last week in Tarzan. <laughs> uh, we're very sorry about that, but. Like sometimes we can't help ourselves, and like that was a great movie. Okay, <laughs> there's just so much to talk about, and uh yes. So now that I have the list of movies and the list of eras, Golden Age would be from Snow White until Bambi, and then you have the wartime era, which is Saludos Amigos up until Melody Time. Well, actually, Adventures of Ichabod and Mr. Toad, I guess, would probably still be into that which was 1943 through 49 then you have the silver age which would be cinderella in 1950 up until jungle book which was when uh walt disney passed away Mm -hmm. as was the start of the the next era which was the bronze era so the aristocrats so aristocrats from 1970 up until 1988 which was oliver and company and it ended the oliver and company ended the bronze the bronze era yes see with how that movie went it made me feel like it was actually part of it it did feel like it belonged in the renaissance era but unfortunately it does not get incorporated into that huh. grouping because little mermaid takes that first that first leap that's all the way to tarzan yeah, Little Mermaid from 89 until Tarzan 99. Like we said, this was the first time where two films came out in the same year, but are considered different eras of films. Fantasia 2000 starting the post-Renaissance era. Real creative with the, the change there. Yeah. Post-Renaissance runs up until 2009, where Princess and the Frog starts the revival era. And Revival Era is still going currently. All right. Well, now we know that. There was your little history lesson. That's something we should have done way earlier in the beginning of the podcast. But I know a lot of people have been asking for us to go into the history a little bit. And 
there's a little bit of it there. And we'll try and drill a little bit more here and there when we can. But that's it for this week. We hope you're enjoying what's going on. We hope to enjoy the post-Renaissance era. Yeah, and then uh, next week we get on to Dinosaur. Yes, the first feature film of the post-Renaissance era, which should be interesting. Like as yeah. I said, I mentioned this previously. I watched this movie so many times because my nephew had wanted me to, like, that's all he wanted to watch at one point. And he was I just watching it, it every day. Once. And I blocked it out of my mind because I've seen it so much. So I honestly can't tell you anything that happens. There's dinosaurs. That's that's all I know. <laughs> but the film is called Dinosaur, but there are multiple dinosaurs. That is it for this week, though. So until next time, may all your dreams come true. Bye.